Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 14 through 16 called Philistia's Fall and Moab's Morning. Listen to Ezekiel 6, verse 9. Then those who escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be carried captive. Here's God talking. This is Ezekiel 6, 9. How I have been hurt. The word hurt means broken, crushed, or grieved by their adulterous hearts, which turned away from me and by their eyes, which played the harlot after their idols. You know what breaks God's heart more than anything else? when his people cheat on him. See, spiritual idolatry is often compared with harlotry, which is prostitution, or with adultery. In the New Testament, we know that God has painted a picture in marriage. What he has said is, the the bride of Christ is the church and Jesus is the groom. And we are married one to another. We're told in Ephesians 4 that it is possible for us to do what? To grieve the Holy Spirit with whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. See, God has not changed. What broke his heart in the Old Testament still breaks his heart today. And here's what breaks his heart. When a covenant, when a person enters into a covenant with their lips with God, do you remember Jesus said to the people, he said, well, did Isaiah speak about you that this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, here's what religion does. Go back to Isaiah. Religion says, I will sing a praise song to God. I will, I will, I will say the prayers. I will go through the rituals. But then if I go out the door and I live like I don't love this God, what do you think that means to him? Here's a human analogy. You're married to somebody. You make a covenant of vows at the altar. And then all week long you go out and you're with other women. And then you come home and you say, I love you, honey. You're the best. I want to be with you forever. You're the love of my life. Do you think that that person's really going to believe what you say? No. Do you think it's any different with God? One man was talking to a group of pastors and he'd come out of an alcoholic background. And he said, imagine if we went to the altar when we were going to get married and you know, the pastor was going through the vows and right when he says, you know, in sickness and in health, we, we'd say that but then we qualify it. And unless you don't look good enough in 20 years, and would you sign this, as a matter of fact, while we're up here, if you don't uh, deliver on this or that, with all these qualifications, what if we went to the altar and we did that? At a wedding ceremony, do you think that the bride would sit there and say, oh, it's fine, yeah, it's fine, I'll do that for you. No, I think she'd be the runaway bride. Well, in the same way, God says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with, not some, right? See, it's a process though, isn't it? 
We learn to love somebody. That's why you guys who are married, you've realized this now. Marriage is the school of discipleship. You know why? Because you have to learn to love someone, not for the reasons that the world says to love. You have to learn to love someone on their bad hair days. When you have to learn to love someone when they've got stuff stuck to their mouth, you know, in the morning. You have to learn to love them when you do not understand why they are acting the way they are acting. Whether it be <laughs> tears at commercials or the way he drives on the freeway and that only the, why are only the idiots out when daddy's driving? All that. And so you go through your relationship with God and the truth is sometimes you're disappointed. Sometimes you pray about something and God doesn't answer that prayer the way you expect it. And sometimes you're in a crisis and you're crying out to God and you say, I know I'm supposed to be obedient. I'm supposed to do all those things I'm supposed to do even in the down times, but I'm having a tough time with that one. And it's as though a voice sometimes whispers, will you love me anyway? Will you love me if you don't understand today what I'm doing? You trust me enough? I don't know. I only love God if he's coming through for me. It's a lot of the modern mentality. It's been birthed somehow in our culture that even when we do the wrong thing, we should get a trophy. I don't know where that comes from. But anyway, verse 6, before I get myself in a bunch of trouble. For the waters of Nimrim, and this is probably a wadi in southern Moab, are desolate. Surely the grass is withered. The tender grass died out. There is no green thing. That's a picture of man's life, by the way. He withers. Therefore the abundance, back in uh, chapter 15, verse 7, therefore the abundance which they have acquired and stored up, they carry off over the brook of Arabim. Here's the idea. There's war. Assyria is marching down like a swarm of bees and people are grabbing their stuff that they've acquired, verse 7, and they're trying to carry it over to the brook. I've got to grab some of this stuff that, I, that I've got over the years. Now let me ask you a question. If stuff was burning, if you only had a couple things to carry out of your house, what would you take? Would it be silver and gold? The 50-inch high-def LCD with whatever bells and whistles it's got on it. What would you take? Southern California is a place of earthquakes, and I remember when we were living in Anaheim Hills, there was a shaker that happened. And I remember we were in this little condo, and it started shaking. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And Shane was just a little baby. And I remembered, man, first it was, is Brenda okay? Let's find a doorway and raced over and got what was most precious to us, that child. See, when your life comes down to those kinds of things, what, what do you go for? What, what do you race back to grab? If you, were, if you were in Japan and you saw those waters coming, it happened to people. What would you go back for? 
If you could grab two things, what would you grab? Well, people are grabbing their stuff over the, of the, uh, over the ravine of the poplars or the willows, New King James says. For the cry of distress has gone around the territory of Moab. Its wail goes as far as Eglom, and its wailing even to Bear Elim. For the waters of Damon are full of blood. They can see their own people's blood in the waters. Surely I will bring added woes upon Damon. A lion, which is a picture of that which uh, rages and causes destruction upon the fugitives of Moab, upon the remnant of the land. Now we're going to move into chapter 16 because Moab is finished up in this chapter. We'll move pretty quickly here. Chapter 16, look at verse 1. Send the tribute lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah by way of the wilderness to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. So here's kind of a, eaves, uh, the picture is Isaiah's eavesdropping into an emergency cabinet meeting of Moab. Okay, here's what we'll do. We're on the run, we're grabbing our stuff, we're trying to move south away from this enemy coming down from the north, which is the strong Assyrians, and guess where they're headed? Down from Moab, they're headed to, guess where? Judah, Jerusalem, and so they say, hey, here's what we'll do. We'll send a tribute lamb. This is what they would do in Moab. They would send a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, to the ruler of the land. Isn't that interesting? We'll send a lamb to the ruler of Judah. Hmm. And so maybe uh, the, that mountain of the daughter of Zion, maybe what they'll do is they'll be nice. And then like fleeing, wandering birds or scattered nestlings, like fluttering birds push from the nest, NIV. The daughters of Moab will be at the fords of Arnon. The daughters, uh, the, the women are moving. They're, they're fearful and they're there. They're like little birds that have been pushed out of the nest and they're, they're fluttering around. They're running away from this army that's coming. You can see that the language is intensifying. And oftentimes in war scenarios like this, the women were the worst off. You might be better off being killed than be taken captive because you would end up being treated terribly. And so all the women are flocking and in the cabinet meeting where he's eavesdropping, they say, give us advice, verse 3, chapter 16. Make a decision. Cast your shadow like night at high noon. Hide the outcast. Do not betray the fugitives. Moab's coming down and saying, would... Even though it's daytime, I wish it were night. I wish we could hide. And our deep hope is that Israel will open up its borders and hide us. Sounds reminiscent of something in history when the Jews were the ones that were trying to hide from Nazi Germany. And there was a ship during that time that came to America, I think to New York. And you know what we did with those people who had escaped? We turned them away. America turned them away. And here's Moab. They have come right to that border of Judah. Let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. Some believe the Lord is talking here. Be a hiding place, verse 4, to them from the destroyer. Uh, for the extortioner, that has the idea of one who tramples, has come, down, has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors, that's one who squeezes and limits freedom, have completely disappeared from the land. A throne will even be established, verse 5, in loving kindness, that's Hesed, that's the covenant love of God. And a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. Now here we have a turn. They've come to the border. They've sent Israel this lamb. They sent it to the king of Judah. They've said, hey, will you take in our refugees? 
here's a tributary lamb. Here's, here's something to, to, to make you be uh, mindful of us and, and compassionate. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. The daughters, uh, the, the women are moving. They're, they're fearful and they're there. They're like little birds that have been pushed out of the nest and they're, they're fluttering around. They're running away from this army that's coming. You can see that the language is intensifying. And oftentimes in war scenarios like this, the women were the worst off. You might be better off being killed than be taken captive because you would end up being treated terribly. And so all the women are flocking and in the cabinet meeting where he's eavesdropping, they say, give us advice, verse 3, chapter 16. Make a decision. Cast your shadow like night at high noon. Hide the outcast. Do not betray the fugitives. Moab's coming down and saying, would... Even though it's daytime, I wish it were night. I wish we could hide. And our deep hope is that Israel will open up its borders and hide us. Sounds reminiscent of something in history when the Jews were the ones that were trying to hide from Nazi Germany. And there was a ship during that time that came to America, I think to New York. And you know what we did with those people who had escaped? We turned them away. America turned them away. And here's Moab. They have come right to that border of Judah. Let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. Some believe the Lord is talking here. Be a hiding place, verse 4, to them from the destroyer. Uh, for the extortioner, that has the idea of one who tramples, has come, down, has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors, that's one who squeezes and limits freedom, have completely disappeared from the land. A throne will even be established, verse 5, in loving kindness, that's hesed, that's the covenant love of God. And a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. Now here we have a turn. They've come to the border. They've sent Israel this lamb. They sent it to the king of Judah. They've said, hey, will you take in our refugees? Here's a tributary lamb. Here's, here's something to, to, to make you be uh, mindful of us and, and compassionate. And notice what happens. There's, there's a throne established there. It's one, verse five, of loving kindness. It's one, it's judge that sits on his faithful in the tent of David. This judge seeks justice and he's prompt in righteousness. Here's the picture of the Messiah. But look at verse six. We have heard of the pride of Moab, that's what they're known for, an excessive pride. Even of his arrogance, pride, and fury, his idle boasts are false. See, what Moab's known for is excessive pride. That's what they're known for. They come right to the border, and the opportunity that they have is to deal with a king that is full of loving kindness. He's full of faithfulness. He's full of justice and righteousness. And what are they known for? Excessive pride, verse 6. 
arrogance, pride, and fury or insolence. They are known for their conceit. They are known for all the opposite things. And they come right to the border and they send the lamb. And you think, hey, here's an opportunity for them to find refuge in the place that is the city of refuge. But look at verse 7. Therefore Moab shall wail. Every one of Moab shall wail. You shall moan for the raisin cakes of Ker Harasheth as those who are utterly stricken. Something has happened. They came to the border, but guess what? They didn't go in. Because apparently the cost was too high. They didn't want to give their allegiance to the king of Judah. Who's the king of Judah? Who's the one that will ultimately sit on the throne of David? Jesus Christ. And Moab comes right to the border and they're saying, help us, we're outcasts, we're refugees, Assyria, the destroyer's going to destroy us. And they stand right at the border and they send the lamb. And they say, let us in. And God says, yeah, let them in. But apparently they don't go in. And the reason that they don't go in is found in verse 6. Excuse me. Yeah, it's verse 6. It is one word excessive, the word is pride, it's two words here, excessive pride. The thing that will keep you from the king of kings and the Lord of lords is excessive pride. I don't need him. Do you know how many people call on God in emergencies? Imagine if you were God. You had that same person showing up every emergency. Hey God, here I am, I'm in trouble. You guys ever see that movie with Burt Reynolds? The whole movie, he's trying to kill himself and then he decides that he wants to live. And he's out in the ocean and you know he was going to drown himself, but he had a change of heart. And so as he is out there, he thinks he's going to die. So he says, God, I'll give you whatever. He starts really high, 80%. And then he catches a wave and he gets a little closer to the shore, 50%. And then he gets a little closer, 30 And then he gets a little 10 That's kind of how we are. When we're in trouble, man, we want that refuge. But then pride. I don't know. Do I, do I really need to be a Christian? Isn't that just a big old crutch? Isn't Christianity just a big crutch? Yeah, it's about the biggest one you can get. But I'll tell you, everybody's going to lean on something. For the fields of Heshbon have withered, the vines of Sib- Sibma. As well, and the lords of the nations have trampled down its choice clusters, which reached as far as Jazer and wandered to the de- deserts. Its tendrils spread themselves out and passed over the sea. Therefore, I will weep bitterly for Jazer, for the vine of Sib- Sibma. I will drench you with many tears, with my tears, O Heshbon and Alila, for the shouting over your summer fruits and your harvest has fallen away. Gladness and joy are taken away from the fruitful field. You know, earlier we saw the people are saying, the raisin cakes, we remember the raisin cakes. Can you imagine Americans in captivity? I remember the bean burritos anytime we wanted in less than two minutes. Can you imagine how whiny we would be? I deserve that, you Assyrian meanie. Quiet. You're getting nothing. Wow. 
See, all the joy is going to be gone. It's going to be taken away from the fruitful field. In the vineyards also there will be no cries of joy or jubilant shouting. We're almost done. No treader treads out wine in the presses, for I've made the shouting to cease. All joy comes to an end. Therefore my heart intones like a harp for Moab. Here it is again. My inward feelings for Ker Hereseth. So it will come about when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself upon his high place and comes to his sanctuary to pray, that he will not prevail. Here's the picture. Moab's gone through all this stuff, and you know where he goes back to? Up to his high place, and he worries himself. Something's got to click. One of the gods have to answer out there somewhere, and he's tired, and he's not going to prevail. This is the word which the Lord spoke earlier concerning Moab. But now the Lord speaks, saying, within three years, as a hired man would count them, kind of like looking at his watch for the day to end, the glory of Moab will be degraded along with all his great population and his remnant will be very small and impotent. After, this, after the Assyrian invasion, the nation pretty much was done. Little pockets of Moabites, but pretty much done after that. Why? Because when the judgment of God fell... Instead of running to the God who was weeping over them and pouring out the discipline, they went to the other places. And what they found is that those things could not deliver. Have you met any Moabites lately? You met any? I haven't. But I've met some Jews. See, God is faithful. But you have to have the right God, it does matter. A lot of people today, they're talking about higher powers. It's my higher power. Well, look, I know sometimes that's a stepping stone. And I, and I don't want to, if you came that way to Jesus Christ, God bless you. But sometimes it's this undefined whatever. Who's your higher power? My belly button. Oh, really? What good is that going to do you? See, you need to define who your high place is. You need to know. Amen? Do you know? Do you know where to run in times of trouble? Do you know where to run when you don't get the answer you're looking for? When it's not quite working out the way that you would hope, do you believe that he still is going to work it out for good? So hold on. You've been listening to Philistia's Fall and Moab's Morning, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. And that was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 14 through 16. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, the Living Truth app is a great way to stay up to date with what's going on here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. There's Bible studies, family events, and of course, worship services. If you're out of the area, the Living Truth app has a lot for you too, like watching and listening to Pastor Michael's latest teachings. You can download the Living Truth app from your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. Now here's Pastor Michael. Well, as we study the book of Isaiah and we see the fall of Philistia and Moab's mourning, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that it is important how you see God, speak about God, whether or not you fear the Lord 
and even how you treat his people is extremely important. And so these oracles against these foreign nations really show the heart of God. They show that God is a God of justice. He wants all nations to be saved. He used Israel to be a light to the nations. But when other nations brought Israel either grief through warfare or uh, kind of sucked them into idolatry, then God judged those nations. He gave them time to repent, of course, but he did judge those nations. And this is our God. He is patient and loving, compassionate, but he's also just. And these oracles in Isaiah are certainly bringing that out. Well, this is Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance, and we have been moving through Isaiah chapter 14 through chapter 16. And uh, the book of Isaiah is an amazing book. It's not always easy content, but it is the inspired word of God. And it is beneficial for us to see what the Lord said to these nations and what he may be saying to us and to our nation. Hey, if you'd like to reach out to us, we've been giving you a phone number that you can call during the week where pastors are available to talk with you, pray with you. It's 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now we're going to get into next time an oracle concerning Damascus in Isaiah chapter 17. Hey, tell a friend about what you're hearing. Keep us in prayer. We appreciate all of you who are part of our family, who support us. We love you. And Lord willing, we'll see you right here tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Isaiah 17 called The Oracle Concerning Damascus. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.